Well, hello, John. It's uh, good to be with you. I know that uh, you did a show without me, which it really breaks my heart, my friend. I mean, the flight safety detectives was only a flight safety detective the other day. No, I, and, I and couldn't just keep up with you me. with all your travels. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, I was with one of my uh, cohorts in crime who's on the show today, Jason Lacassic. Jason, welcome to the show. You are welcome, our Jason. resident expert besides John with maintenance stuff. So we're well, glad thanks for having me. Yeah, well, you and I were on the road together and, um, and John decided to do a show without me. And I saw some of the raving reviews since it was about drones and I won't drone on about what kind of show it was that John did without me, but uh, I'm glad that the three of us are together for this show. And so while Jason and I were traveling, John, just exactly what were you doing? Uh, not much. <laughs> yep. I've uh, found my way to Florida. I'm enjoying the very, very warm weather and all the maintenance facilities down here in Florida that I get to visit. And, uh, and also all the airports I get to visit. I get to watch some skydivers yesterday uh, doing their thing. It looks so peaceful. Well, I know that you escaped Boston just in time when the, uh, the hurricane rolled up the, the East Coast and you found yourself down in um, what, North Carolina or South Carolina or something? South Carolina. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, you're trying to stay ahead of it so you didn't have to bail water. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The good thing about water is you usually don't have to shovel it. But when it comes in and deluges like that, it usually brings dirt with it. So yeah. a lot of people cleaning out. Yeah. Thankfully, I live on a hill now. Uh, so if my place gets flooded out, we got some real problems. <laughs> Well, you'll have some new oceanfront property outside of Boston, that's for yeah. sure. Well, so. you know, I wonder, I wonder uh, what our sponsor of Emco, uh, what their exposure was with all that storm and yeah. all the damage. Yeah. Uh, which, re which is a good question for all our people, our, our listeners. If you have an airplane and it was in harm's way, I hope you have a good policy, you know, and if you need a policy for health insurance, or for any other kind of general aviation insurance, we I need you to give Avemco a call. Right? They're good people. Uh, they provide great coverage. They're pretty liberal because they they insure somebody that we know on this podcast. Hey, hey, hey! Risk. Yeah. So, so give give Avemco a call 0389 Give them a call if you need insurance, any kind of general aviation insurance. I know I've said it recently a few times. I know I got to spend quite a bit of time with uh, a number of their people at uh, Oshkosh, and I was thoroughly impressed with the knowledge that they had. I listened to them talk to customers and prospective customers, and uh, I was impressed, uh, especially since a couple of them were not pilots. Yeah, and it, it was really uh, an eye opener for me, and well, also the fact that they fly—I uh, forgot—was it a, a Red Red Bull simulator they have in their building? The Redbird. Redbird simulator. Yeah. Now they Red Bull—they may drink Red Bulls 
before they start flying the simulator, but they're flying the Redbird simulator, John. Yeah, okay. <laughs> we'll get that some, we'll get that down, Pat. Yeah. The absolutely. bottom line is if you need insurance, Avemco uh, will help you. And if you mention the show, you can get a 5% discount. And if you mention Greg's name, uh, I don't know if they'll get insurance or not. <laughs> yeah. See, I knew, I knew as soon as I came back, you got so much confidence from the show that I wasn't in where you could tag me a little bit. But guess what? Paybacks are hell. You know that. So. I know it's coming. I know it's coming. Yep, That's I know you're I trying to get ahead of it. shots on the show you weren't there. <laughs> so I could get them and not get any comebacks. I know, you're always trying to get ahead of it. So, but yep. anyway, well, again, yeah, you bring up a good point, John, about Avemco and, of course, insurance in general. With these uh, hurricanes that have rolled through uh, both the southern part of the United States and, of course, then going up the East Coast, there were a lot of aircraft at airports in harm's way. And, um, and it's going to be interesting to see how those numbers shake out as far as damage to aircraft. Um, it, it's, it, it's always sad when we know that kind of weather is blowing up the East Coast or just anywhere in general, but we know what it's going to leave behind as far as airplanes and airports uh, and helicopters. Uh, I've saw a number of pictures recently on the internet. It is just sad when uh, they're all piled up on top of each other. For the salvage companies, I guess that's great business. Unfortunately, for those of us who enjoy flying them, uh, it's just painful to see. It sure is. It sure is. You know, the other thing that uh, that is a big concern, and that's really the whole premise of today's show, is the fact uh, <clears throat> that with uh, with maintenance and, and of course, uh, any kind of maintenance that you're going to do on an aircraft, service bulletins, service bulletins, service bulletins seem to be a big issue. And of course, even the FAA has recognized that this, uh, this month, September happens to be for the uh, FAA FAST team, their safety team, the topic of the month is service bulletins in compliance with. And it's a very, it's a very complex subject to an extent especially to a general aviation pilot operating under part 91. Um, and that's why uh, between you and Jason, I think that we can ferret some of this out, but the three of us have worked accidents over the years throughout our career where these seemingly mundane type service bulletins that people tend to ignore at all levels for any aircraft uh, could be and have been the basis for either a cause or a contributing factor to accidents. And as these new technology, these later generation type airplanes where you have more ones and zeros involved in the operation of the airplane through all of the computer programs and the avionics and, and some of the engine controls and things like that, service bulletins you know, should not be ignored. And, and so I think opening up that is our discussion today there have been a number of accidents. John, I know that you're familiar with, you know, the large air carrier accidents that, uh, that have been attributed to service information or service bulletins that weren't complied with. I, I can think of one right now, United 811, that you're familiar with, with the cargo door. Yes, that was a, that's a big one. You know, and, and what's wrong are, are the potential failure for the air carrier portion of the industry is they put their own engineers between 
uh, and service information, whichever kind it is, in the mechanic that does the work. So one of the reasons they do that is to fit it within the, each individual airline wants to fit that work within their paperwork system so that it gets tracked and, and all of that. But sometimes what happens with engineers, they miss the point. You know, uh, what comes to mind quickly is uh, too many hands will spoil the soup or whatever it is like that. Yeah. You know, so you, you interject an engineer into it who rewrites it and it then comes up with something that doesn't look the same or accomplish the, the goal. Uh, you mentioned 811 and that's a big one, uh, a big accident. But I can think of some smaller ones that led to enforcement action against mechanics. So it it, uh, it, it crosses the the, uh, the spectrum. Uh, and I know Jason that you know you're still practicing you know uh, under your AMP and your IA. I mean, are you seeing or at least been around in a facility where other mechanics are working where they're not really conversing about? service bulletins or they don't give it the same level of attention that definitely an ad deserves but uh they should be paying more attention to service bulletins yeah we've seen that a couple of times you know one of the things you know you wanted to discuss a little bit about the different levels of the service instructions that you get but uh some of the shops that i've been in that we've seen some of the mechanics have been doing it for so long and working on the same airplanes for so long they don't see some of the updates. They don't, they constantly do, they do 50, 60 annual inspections a year on the same and or one or two different models of airplanes. They get some of the service instructions and then there'll be a year where they miss one or two. And it won't be until the following year where they, they pick up and the, you know somebody mentioned, hey, did you do this? And like, oh boy, we didn't do that instruction. We'll have to go back. But you know, it's really important that people know the three different levels of the type of service instructions that go out. You know, Basically the first line is, uh, just a service letter. Uh, it's just to let you know, uh, the manufacturer says, hey, we've gotten some customer service calls in. Uh, we've noticed uh, part numbers incorrect in the parts catalog. Uh, you should use this bolt or this nut or this counter pin instead of that one. Here's just kind of some basic information. Please update it just so you know. Um, then, then you got kind of that next step up. Okay, we've had some warranty work. We've had some other calls. We've had some issues. People had some problems. They have, we need to put out a bulletin now. We've noticed this with this oil filter. We've noticed this with this landing gear bolt. We've noticed this with this hydraulic line. So there's there's different levels. We've now stepped up. We're seeing some chafing at the annual inspection. You need to get in there and check where these where this pulley and this cable goes because we're getting chafing on this line. You guys, we need to check that. And then you get the next step up. So sometimes it's accident related. Sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's just a great IA while in the while in the process of doing an annual inspection, find something that was almost catastrophic and a big event. And they call in and say, hey, look, we found this and now we're going to go to a mandatory service bulletin. Now we need to raise it up to kind of that third level of, of getting the information out. This is really important. You got to do this. And, uh, you know, again, like we, we discussed earlier, part 91, you're not required. So if the mechanics miss it or don't update it or didn't do it or didn't do the research or doesn't have the service, uh, sometimes those get missed, but, you know, it's really beneficial for shops, small shops, A&P shops, you know, big 145 repair stations usually have a really good grasp of uh, data, getting the information, the, the current instructions for continued airworthiness, being able to update that data that they get in real time. As it comes out, it goes in, they know they have these airplanes in the system that are coming in. 
So they, they, they really have a better control of the information. It's really the smaller shops where they get onesie twosies. They get a 206, a 182, a, a Bonanza comes in, a Baron comes in. And they only see one or two of them a year where it takes them a lot of time to go out and collect all the information, all the new service bulletins. So they didn't see it in a year, didn't see it in a two years, and they go out and they don't have these services. And sometimes they don't know every accessory that's on the airplane. They don't know the prop, that, you know. So it takes them more time to go in. And those are the guys that we're finding, uh, you know, have either maintained something for a long period of time or just getting it new into the shop. They're missing things where it's falling through the yeah. cracks and they're missing those bulletins. And you and I are, are currently working a number of accidents um, where the service bulletins or the lack of compliance with the service bulletins could play a critical factor in, uh, in what we're doing as far as our investigations. John, you brought up a good point about tracking. And of course, of the, the major carriers have, you know, very elaborate tracking systems for maintenance control, you know, the work that's done, the parts that are, that are utilized and things like that. But even with all of that uh, in place, we know that, uh, that carriers have missed doing some of these service bulletins or, you know, critical information like that. I know that uh, there's a, a very well-known operator of 737s who's gotten in trouble um, because they supposedly didn't follow in a timely manner some of the service instructions or service bulletins that were issued, not necessarily ADs. Uh, I know the carrier that I used to work for, and it was USAA, at one point in time, we had missed a number of ADs that the FAA picked up on. And uh, as a result, they ended up creating a department uh, that was staffed by a friend of mine uh, just to track ADs because they, they were just all over the place. And of course, at that time, we had a, a DC-9 fleet, about 170 of them, I believe, if my memory is correct. So we had all different models uh, you know, so tracking down ADs that was specific to not only just a model like a Dash 30, but within the Dash 30, certain serial numbers, uh, you know, airplanes, some of those airplanes came from other airlines and uh, the ADs were supposed to be done and they weren't done. Uh, I mean, it, it's, a, it's a nightmare when you have a fleet of airplanes to keep track of all those uh, bulletins and ADs. Uh, Oftentimes, the service bulletins turn into ADs. So just trying to keep track of all of that can be can be a, a real nightmare. And that's not taken into consideration uh, if they get messed up in an accomplishment, if they don't get accomplished, if the, if the uh, language is not clear. I got deeply involved with an AD on a, a DC-930 rudder for cracking. And when it was rewritten by the... Uh, engineer, he left out one pertinent fact. The way he wrote it was, uh, you could find small cracks in each section, you know, piece of real estate on the on the rudder. Uh, and as long as they weren't in adjacent blocks, uh, you were okay. That's not what the AD said. Hmm. The AD said, cumulatively on the entire rudder, if you had cracks equal to this amount of distance, you know, how many, six inches or whatever it was, uh, that was it. You had to fix it right then. And you and bring up a good point that I definitely want to come back to. Um, but I know that, uh, 
you know, for a general aviation part 91 pilot, um, the regulations specifically tell you in part 91, and I think they're reiterated in, in part 43, but 91, 405 and, and 409, I believe, um, it says that the owner operator of that aircraft is responsible for knowing airworthiness directives and service bulletins and any service information regarding his or her aircraft. And I mean, that onus is on the owner operator, not on the mechanic. But, and, and that's why I wanna come back to you, Jason. That is, I know that as an owner operator, I was very diligent. I, I had the subscription so I could follow all the things that were going on with my Comanche, even though it was, you know, 50 years old. Um, but a lot of these pilots, especially now, I see a lot on uh, the internet that are buying and selling airplanes. And these first-time buyers are on Facebook asking for, hey, I'm thinking about buying my first airplane. What should I look out for? And of course, you get all the people that, uh, you know, are providing, you know, free advice. But the big thing here is that it is the owner-operator's responsibility, not even, not only during the pre-buy, but of course, then the continued airworthiness of the aircraft to, to know and be knowledgeable about what's going on with his or her aircraft. And it seems that they put a lot of tacit trust in a mechanic to do that work or at least relie relieve them of that burden so that they don't either, they because they don't know about it, don't know how to do it, don't know how to track it, find it or whatever, or they just assume that's the mechanic's job. But it's really, you know what, it's really layered to make everybody responsible. So the mechanic has responsibility in there. The pilot before he flies has responsible, responsibility to ensure that his airplane is airworthy. And then as you said, the owner operator who may not be the pilot also has responsibility in there. So it's a layered responsibility. And the FAA can go after all three of those entities are only one, it's up their choice. So it's, it's uh, behooves us to have a good system in place to track all the service bulletins and ADs against your airplane. Absolutely, John, you're right. And you know, I'm not taking any new clients and I'm not doing any, any annuals and stuff like that, Greg, but my average process, when I sit down and do it, if I have a new client that come in the door, the first kind of conversation we have, which most of them don't like because most of the owners out there are looking for that low dollar annual inspection. They're not looking for the high dollar one. And I just tell them, look, if I don't feel comfortable putting my kids in your airplane and flying around with you, then I'm not going to let you fly around. In it. And I have a standard process that I do when I get a new client in, they bring an airplane in, they, they drop off the information. I get the basic serial numbers, you know, between my AD search, doing all the service bulletins, pulling all the, everything that I can on their aircraft and researching and putting, I usually spend anywhere between eight, depending on how elaborate it is and how old it is. I spend anywhere between eight and 10 hours. Like on a new carbon cub, obviously you can do you can do the whole review and sit down and do everything with the owner in two and a half, three hours. But if you're gonna go with an old uh, Bonanza A36 or a V-tail Bonanza built in the 50s, you're gonna sit down and have a long conversation with <clears> them and I'm gonna lay all that out. I have a process that I do. I get a lot of people that call up, a lot of people asking, you know, hey, can you help me with my records? Gonna buy an airplane, what do you think? Because they saw the videos out there where everybody puts in their two cents about what they think but nobody supplies them any guidance about where to go. 
Nobody knows where to go and get all the information, but Hey, I'm just buying one airplane, but I don't want to pay for this subscription. And I don't want to have to jump into this for a year. You know, can you help? And where do I get that? So, you know, I get a lot of those questions all the time and I hope a lot of people doing that, but you know, that's kind of how I, before I even look at your airplane, before you walk around your airplane, we have to look at your records first, because as you and I both know, every single airplane that we've ever looked at, we have found something in the records. So, you know, following the bulletins, you know, following the trailer. I can't tell you how many service bulletins I've seen where somebody said they did it. I go out to the airplane and have a look. Oh, well, it says you're supposed to change that switch. Well, that's the original switch. So obviously somebody didn't do the, and we got to do the bulletin. So those things happen frequently, actually. You know, you just, you just raised a point and and gave me a a flashback. Uh, Back in the, uh, in the early nineties, USA bought 10 757s from Eastern Airlines. And we sent them out to uh, an outfit in Arizona uh, to do checks. They were owned by the leasing company, not by Easton anymore. They had been returned. And uh, that individual that I mentioned earlier uh, at USA that was responsible for ADs. So the, the, the uh, first airplane in, he had a list of, of ADs that were complied with. And for no particular reason, he went and he, he looked at a couple of them and they weren't done. And then he started taking, you know, that was, that was like kicking the can of worms over. He started oh, yeah. looking further and he found about, I'm guessing uh, the exact number, but it was something like 50% of them were not accomplished. So then they, they ended up putting a whole program together, a work program to try to to uh, capture the ones that weren't. And then ultimately that got to be so cumbersome that they just decided redo every one of the ADs that were pertinent to that airplane. Just redo them. It was faster uh, than trying to figure out if they were done, uh, if they were only partially done or whatever. They just redid them all. And uh, fortunately for the airline, that was part of the purchase agreement. So uh, the leasing company had to pay for all of that. Hmm. And uh, which raises a question probably to you, Jason, is does anybody in this business when they do the pre-buy or buying an airplane, do they ever ask uh, for the seller to, to uh, do all the service bulletins? You know, when you, when you buy a house, that's one of the things that you ask for is that, you know, all the bills are paid, any, any discrepancies you find are brought up to, up to standard. But I've never seen it on uh, general aviation airplanes of you. No, I haven't either, John. And that brings up a really good point. Normally, what they go to is all the airworthiness directives are complied with. So, like you just said, I put together the list of airworthiness directives. We go out with the with a prospective buyer. We go out, take a look at the airplane, and we go down the list. And and just like you said, sometimes it's someone's interpretation of the AD that they do it incorrectly because they don't understand exactly what it is they're doing in it. So they think they did it and they signed it off, but then it was done incorrectly. That is very common. We find that yeah. a lot. But for service bulletins, I haven't done, I haven't done any or assisted anyone uh, with uh, the purchasing of airplanes that have had all the service bulletins done. Only when an aircraft comes out of a 135 environment back to 91, they 99% of the time were complied with during, you know, when it was an operation as an air carrier certificate and then transitioning back. 
You know, we didn't we didn't mention that that piece of the service bulletins. So for commercial operators, 135s, uh, 121s, 125s, and 129s, all the commercial operators, they are required to do all service informations and service bulletins. They're all mandatory for, for a commercial operator. So the, the problem that we're talking about is uh, primarily within the general aviation community, the non-commercial operators. Now we know that you know um, there are times when an AD is issued. Of course, it becomes now part of the service uh, instruction or or the maintenance manual, you know, by reference and that kind of stuff. Is there a time? Can you think of anything right off the top of your head where a uh, service bulletin has been incorporated into that service instruction, therefore basically quasi making it a requirement to 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 be complied with? For an airline, they do that routinely. Commercial operators do that routinely. I don't know of any for general aviation. Do you, Jason? For service instructions, I mean, the most recent thing that we've worked that's gone from service instruction into an AD, I think would be uh, some of the work that Greg and I did with wing spars, wing spar yeah. ADs. And stuff yeah. with Piper, there was a there was quite a few service instructions that got rolled into that AD as part of the inspections to to do that kind of thing. But outside of that, recently, um, I haven't. You know, there's 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 not as many. Eight, well, let me let's, let me rephrase. Right now, it doesn't appear that there are as many ADs coming out in succession as in previous times. ADs were very common. 80s are, are, they're still coming out. They're still, they're still getting work. It's taking much longer to get them through now, but they're just not coming out at the pace that they were 10 years ago. So yeah. I'm watching them, seeing what's coming out, but I, nothing really in GA. You know, you know one of people, the, I'm sorry, many no. folks don't realize that a service bulletin or a mandatory service bulletin, they're monitored by the FAA. And if it looks like it needs to have a, an AD, the FAA can initiate an AD on their own, but oftentimes the manufacturer will take that service bulletin and, and send it to the FAA requesting it be made into an AD. And so and there's, there's two ways in which we get ADs. One is by whoever uh, generates the service bulletin asking for it to be converted to an AD or when the FAA themselves see a trend uh, involving and around a service bulletin, they will incorporate it into an AD. And you bring up a good point, John, because uh, I remember, you know, during my uh, career at the NTSB when I was working in the field and, and doing uh, general aviation accidents, there were a number of uh, the ones that I can think of off the top of my head. I know that there were a number of other uh, aircraft, but I did a lot of Cessna 172s that uh, of course being a piston carbureted airplane um, there was there was an issue with the Marvel Schreibler carburetors and the floats that were used between the composite material floats versus the metal float and I did a number of those accidents and every time I wrote one of those accidents up I had done a historical research of other accidents <clears throat> trying to form the basis for recommendations which I wrote a multiple of recommendations because the manufacturer, they found that the composite material was absorbing the fuel, they could, the actual float could become flooded. 
Next thing you know, you have a malfunctioning carburetor. You have a problem with the engine necessitating either a forced landing or resulting in an accident. And that was, I mean, there were a lot of them. And, and of course, throughout the years that I was investigating them, I wrote recommendation after recommendation. And so did the manufacturers trying, I mean, they put information out as a service bulletin over and over and over again, but they finally went to the FAA and said, you got to make this an AD. We just don't have enough compliance out there. We're continually having these problems. You know, we don't really have the force of law like you make this an AD, make this an AD. And for better than 10 years, the FAA basically said, we're not doing that. We're not going to change. We're not going to make that an AD. And it was some 15 plus years later that they finally acquiesced and, and made it an AD. But we still had a lot of airplane accidents in that period of time. But again, we still have this ambivalence, I think, where pilots don't understand these ADs. So it's like, ah, I'm not required to do it, so I'm not going to do it. And even when it's an AD and they, they've listened to, you know, the, the hangar flying guys who go, hey, don't worry about it. You don't have to do that. Don't change it. Is the engine running well? Yeah, the engine's running great. Great. Don't bother with it. And next thing you know, we're having accidents. And, and Jason, I know that, you know, you're still, as you mentioned before we got on the air, it's still happening out there with the same problems with these carburetors. Same thing. The float that you just mentioned, I just saw one. I just saw one and it should have been out 17 years ago. Yeah. But I, I just saw one. I just recently saw this the exact thing you're talking about. I just saw one. And you know, and the man, manufacturers have a little bit of, of uh, dirty hands in this whole thing. Because I can remember back 30 plus years ago that manufacturers were issuing service bulletins uh, to correct the problems that they failed to identify and correct when they were manufacturing the airplane. And they were pushing that burden down to the cost burden down to the pilot or owner of those airplanes. And that's, that's where a lot of the backlash came from. And it was really a pretty, pretty uh, festy discussion back then, uh, even to the point where uh, the general counsel um, of the FAA got involved and ended up issuing a legal determination uh, that said that pilot, uh, general aviation pilots, our owners and operators, were not required to accomplish service bulletin, service letters, and so on. So although that was a victory for the, the people that didn't want to spend the money and, and make sure that their airplane was in tip-top shape, uh, it, it also set the stage for what we see today with people saying, I'm not doing service buildings because I don't have to do them. And they're not really taking a, a good hard look at what the service bulletin is asking them to do and what the consequences are if you don't do it and the problem that they've identified materializes on your airplane. And it's interesting so, because, you know, we've all read them a thousand uh, service bulletins or ADs, and it's always that little interesting preamble at the beginning of either the service bulletin or the AD that says, here's the problem, you know, this is, you know, you got to do something here because if you don't, it could cause serious injuries or death. That's right in the preamble all the time to get your attention, and people still blow that off with both service bulletins and ADs. 
And, and it, it just concerns me, this ambivalence. When I did this, I mean, these accidents become very heartbreaking and you start to look at them and take them personally. The last one that I did where I wrote a very lengthy report and a recommendation was a Cessna 172 with a guy who was flying with his, I believe it was a 12 year old son in uh, outside of Chicago coming out of um, one of the airports out of there. Um, the guy was, uh, you know, just a very conscientious pilot. He went out, he did his run up, he's taken off. And during the initial climb out, uh, he lost the engine and he wasn't very high. He did the right thing. He went straight ahead, but the only place he could go was in the parking area for 18 wheeler trucks. And he ended up center punching or broadsiding a tractor trailer truck, the, the trailer portion of it, and ended up uh, killing himself and his son. And when you start looking at the history, you start looking at the problems, and that's where we saw that there was this float problem again. Of course, the service bulletin hadn't been complied with. You can't help but feel sorry for that, that gentleman and, and the fact that he died with his son, you know, due to an engine failure, he tried to do the right thing. But then you start looking at who was responsible. Had he changed that float out and, and put the metal float in there, they'd probably still be alive today. And, and you can't help as an, as an accident investigator continually think about accidents like that and question, why didn't you do that? That's a critical system on your single engine airplane. And if you lose that big fan at a critical point in the flight, you don't have many options. And it's just painful that we see this type of accident or incident over and over and over and over again because somebody didn't want to spend the money. Somebody wanted to own an airplane, but they were not willing to put the money behind it. And owning an airplane is like owning a boat or a very uh, expensive antique car. They're money pits. But if you want them to be in the best condition for the safest operation, you have got to spend some money. Yes, and you raised, I was thinking as you were talking about the metal floats and the composite floats, I remember when the composite floats were the latest and greatest, because we always had leaking or sinking metal floats since the beginning of time, and the composite float was going to save us from all of that. It was, it was the latest and greatest, and here we are 30 years later, and we're, we're having a problem with the composite float yeah. as well. Yep. I mean, it's, aviation is dynamic. It's not static. We make changes, and then, you know, oftentimes we have to make other changes. Uh, maybe it's correcting the change we made, or maybe it's improving on the change we made. But it's a dynamic industry and, and inexpensive. Uh, and Jason, I mean, you live up in the wild, wild Northwest. Um, of course, I've been up there quite a bit lately working accidents and that kind of stuff. And I've lived up there for six months and uh, you know, I've been able to interact uh, with folks all over the state, different size operators and, and general aviation pilots. And of course, general aviation is a way of life up there. Um, just from a, a perspective, because you've been up there forever, you know, you, you interact with these folks all day long. They depend on aviation as their primary form of transportation outside downtown Anchorage, basically, or Fairbanks. And, you know, the question is, do they have a hesitation to spend the money to keep that airplane going, or do they do whatever is necessary 
just enough to keep the airplane going because that's just the way of life up there. They don't, you know, they don't want to throw money into the airplane. I mean, what's the attitude when it comes to, you know, either I'm going to go all in or I'm not. Well, you definitely, you're talking about the different type of, uh, it's, we, we have, we have a, a phenomenon that's been addressed a dozen times over the last 20 years, kind of a, a bush mentality, if you will. You know, you're, you're off the beaten path. You're hundreds of miles from the road system. You have to use your airplane. It's, uh, the airplanes are the only method of getting goods and services in or out when shipping can't get in or barges can't get up rivers. So there's a lot of people that, you know, they, they try to maintain the highest level of safety they can. And from time to time, things come up and they, you know, don't say things and they don't have an MMEL list that they can use, but they feel safe with operating without a fuel quantity indicator in a tank because they have to get the services in. But then when it comes in, they try to fix it. So there's a, there's a lot of operations that occur up here where things are right on the edge and people are trying to get those done. Now, with the oversight that's going on, there's a significant amount of FAA oversight up here too. And a, and a lot of PMIs are driving home the, you know, maintenance records, you know, current bulletins. There's a lot of surveillance that's going on right now. I, I have, I'm hearing it from operators all over the place. Surveillance is going on. We've got FAA surveillance all over the place. So, you know, they're still pushing it and, and getting that stuff done. But, you know, from the smaller operators where you can't have an FAA inspector out watching them uh, 24 seven, um, I go out there, nobody knows who I am. So yeah. you, you're out there. I was previously an FAA safety inspector. I don't say anything. I walk around airplanes. I do what you would consider a visual pre-flight inspection without yeah. opening up anything. And I see missing hardware screws, static leaks, hydraulic lines, things yeah. chafing, rubbing. I mean, I see all these things. And sometimes I have a conversation when it's really something important, but um, they get it done at the next inspection. A lot of guys like to stack it up and wait until the next inspection gets done. And then they do yeah. it. I've seen it down here in the lower 48. I spent a lot of time like you and we were just together and, you know, on a couple of inspections and that kind of stuff. You can walk around on the ramp and look at any airplane and find fault, if you will, <laughs> with every airplane, even if it looks good from water, wow, what a beautiful paint job. That airplane was just painted or the interior looks really good. And then you start looking at it and it's just like, man, that control rod's bent on the flap. How the hell did that happen? And why aren't they fixing it? And things like that. It's the, it's the little things. And we've always talked about little things, biting pilots. It's not big things. I mean, it's, it's rare that wings come off and tails come off and that kind of stuff, unless the pilot has done something to work real hard at tearing them off the airplane in flight. But it's these little mechanical things. And the, the thing that really concerns me is with these technically advanced aircraft, like you and I are working right now, several accidents, where the interface between uh, the avionics and component parts on the airplane, whether it's on the engine or like in the in uh, with Tamarack, where they have these active winglets on the Citation jets, um, there's a lot of integration between computers and these component parts. And uh, Tamarack, when they first came out with these active winglets, uh, they had a problem. They had a screw that backed out on, on an actuator that would short out the component. And because these active winglets are constantly, you know, doing work to uh, measure the performance of the aircraft and increase it, 
you short one of those systems out, you now have a problem with the winglet and it could cause a loss of control. The NTSB is actually investigating um, an accident. I think they're in the waning stages now of that citation that had a set of these uh, active winglets on it. And they put a heavy emphasis on whether or not that uh, they had a failure with the winglet. But Tamarack put out a number of service bulletins um, prior to finally having the issue or having, having an AD issued uh, for corrective action. And again, <clears throat> these technically advanced airplanes, it's awesome, it's great. But for the general aviation pilot flying a Cirrus or, or possibly a Technum or uh, you know, Columbia for whatever, where you have an avionics package that has some sort of interface with an engine or a component part, and you get a service bulletin from the manufacturer that says, you really got to do this. You have to, as an owner operator pilot in the best interest of safety, read it, understand it. If you got questions, either take it to a mechanic to have them explain it to you or call the manufacturer and have them explain it to you, but you got to do them. And I just think that as these airplanes go forward with the technology, we're going to start seeing more and more of these. And, and I, I just personally believe that you have to spend the money. You and I are seeing the results, Jace, of, uh, of somebody that isn't doing or oh, yeah. hasn't done you just, that. You just have to. And, and like you said, as the airplanes are becoming more complex and more systems are touching more systems, when you do, it's just not as simple as I'm doing one little bulletin here. I'm touching one part here that touches this part that touches that part. And the bulletins are structured. We're doing this step first, then second step, then third step, then fourth step, which touches five different things. So when you, you really have to dissect the service bulletin to really understand that one, two, three, you, they're putting five different fixes into one sort of service bulletin. And you've got to kind of understand how all the steps work. And if you don't want to spend the three, four, five, or six man hours, that's going to cause maintenance to, to be able to do that. You have to understand how all of those systems touch each other and, and what they possibly could do in flight. Yep. Because they're just not, mm -hmm. a lot of, a lot of pilots are, uh, it's a service bulletin. I don't have to do it, but they're not getting into seeing exactly what the fixes are there go. It's just not one fix. It's two fixes and three fixes and four fixes and five fixes all in one bulletin. And they're really not getting a good briefing. It would be great if they, if they were able to have some sort of, it would be nice if there was a sit down, not only to talk about ADs at the beginning of your annual inspection, but Hey, in the previous year, here's the nine service bulletins that have come out. And these are the 10 things that it covers Yeah, you know, yep. that they could say, look, and we probably need to do these and here's why. Yep. And I'm always yeah. busting John because he can't figure out his computer on a daily basis. But, <laughs> you know, when we're talking, I mean, but all of us that are listening to this show, watching this show, or just the general public, you have a computer, we're pretty diligent about keeping it updated, especially our antivirus programs and everything else. You know, the same thing with these airplanes, and, and it amazes me, it just amazes me how many times I've gone out looked at a broken airplane and we're trying to retrieve the data off of off the avionics and we see outdated avionics you know the terrain or the gps or or you know nobody's been doing updates for a year two years five years ten years they figured that they bought one subscription that's good to go yep. but what are they lot. missing and oh by the way they're using bad data 
to try and operate that airplane, whether, you know, flying from point A to point B or, you know, just running around the patch because that avionics package has an update that's going to control a fuel controller or a component part that, you know, operates a, a flight control system. You know, as I'm sitting here listening to you two guys talk about that, uh, a, a thought came to mind. In the, in the middle 90s, as Airbus gained quite a bit of traction, bringing in the A320s into the U.S. fleet, uh, you, I worked for U.S. Air when that transition was just starting, and Airbus had a considerable concern over bringing that airplane into the, the U.S. Air fleet because we had an entire analog staff. Every airplane that was flown was analog. Mm -hmm. Every mechanic was used to the analog systems. And before they even brought the airplanes in, they started training, 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 pilots, mechanics, lots of other people, right? To start to get a foundation for a digital airplane. And today, every airplane is, I mean, they're, they're digital and it's growing. It's growing to the point where we're, we're going to have five computers on an airplane and a pilot's just going to hit the start button on the, on the Microsoft and it's going to, everything else is going to be done. And he's just going to monitor, monitor things. I mean, it's getting to that point. We're going to, and we see it with drones. I mean, we, you know, all these fancy displays, we see it at uh, football games at halftime where they put a thousand drones up in the air and they do a, a dance and they spell things out. Right. Yeah. That's where we're going. That's that's where this whole world is going. It's going to be yeah. digital. But the general aviation community, we certainly don't have a digital workforce. And and, and you bring and up a good point, John, because a lot of AMPs, I mean, you know, AMPs are allowed to work on avionics, are they not, Jace? I mean, a lot of guys are out there, you know, playing with the ones and zeros in, in these avionics packages, and they may not have a really good comprehensive understanding of not only the avionics, but the interface between the airplane and those avionics. That is absolutely right. When I talk to people about the, the software inside airplanes and they, they tell me that they know everything about it, and, you know, they got a handle on it. I ask them, if, do they use Windows on their computer? And then my second question is, do you think you know every single yeah. way, way that, that Windows system works? Yep. And, and that's the end of the conversation. Yep. Because there's just so much into these digital packages that we have yep. no clue what's in there. And you always see these, these uh, commercials versions, uh, operations, selling you programs to help you understand or get deeper into windows or whatever it is yeah. because this we scratch the surface in our use but the tool goes far deeper and can do far more than any of us ever imagined and that's what we have on airplanes today as well well so it's 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 going to be challenging we're going to yeah. have 20 or 30 years of, of of challenges in the digital world for our entire lives well not just our airplanes but everything we're going to have a discussion about this this kind of interface with automation and in, uh, in the the air operation of the aircraft as we get into more uh, commercial spaceflight, um, of course, recently, uh, Ver Branson's Virgin Galactic was put on the ground by the FAA because they had some serious issues during their little joyride up there 
um, that they failed to disclose. The FAA found out about it, and they were not none too happy with uh, with what had happened. And of course, you know that is a wholly automated system, just like uh, Bezos's rocket is wholly automated. You push a few buttons, and it you just sit back and monitor and watch it all take place. And you're going to have to have that high level of critical knowledge. Are they going to issue service bulletins for a rocket? Are they going to issue ADs for a rocket? I mean, how is all of that going to work? And, and of course, you know, how many AMP mechanics are going to be rocket qualified? Critical. Uh, yeah, I got a problem with my, uh, I got a problem with my rocket. Can I bring it in? I mean, you know, um, you know, that is the, the levels of complexity, like you said, John, we're moving to. Uh, but I think that um, what I want to do is, is close the show with some takeaways. And uh, I will start with uh, you, Jace, since uh, I have to leave the last word for John. I'll chime in after, uh, after I hear from you. Hey, um, you know, the simple thing is service bulletins are important. You need to read them. Everybody thinks they're not. They really are. And it doesn't matter if it's just a service instruction. If it's just telling you that hardware's changed and you need to get a bolt or a different nut or a different cotter pin, you still need to know to do that to find out if there's actually a problem. Service bulletins are important. You need to review them every year and you need to start reading deeper into them. And if they come out and say that they're mandatory, they're mandatory for a reason. If yeah. something has happened, something's gone on and, and somebody needs to be able to do something. So everybody needs to take them seriously. Find out at how many hours you need where the service bulletin works done at your next annual. Ask your AMPIA to pull you up a list. You guys review them and find out which ones that you feel are the most important. But if you can get them done, they really need to be done. That's, that, that's a great point. You bring up a very good point that, uh, that I was going to talk about. And that is if, uh, if you are in the market for an airplane and you are going to do a pre-buy, you got to do your homework. You can't just depend on the person who's going to do the pre-buy for you. Again, they may not be conversant like Jason was talking about. They may not have access to all the pertinent information of an AD or a service bulletin that resides on your particular airplane. So it behooves you as a good purchaser prior to going into the sale of an airplane to do your own homework, question things. Because if you, if you know something and the guy who's doing your pre-buy or gal who's doing your pre-buy says, yep, you're good to go. I went through all this. And then you ask him, well, what about this service bulletin or what about this uh, airworthiness directive? And they look at you with that deer in the headlight look, you know that they haven't done their in-depth dive into service bulletins and ADs. And you should start questioning that. Uh, you and I, Jason, are working on these wing spars. I just was uh, told by a good friend of mine that, uh, and by the way, this is an opportunity for you and me to buy another Piper Arrow, but um, because uh, <laughs> it's sitting in Wilkes-Barre, Pennsylvania, and it didn't pass, it did not pass the inspection. So uh, it's just sitting on the ramp. We get a cheap wing, put it on the airplane. We got us a pretty good airplane. So think about I'm ready it. I'm to just pull the wing off and have a look at the one that didn't pass. Yep. Well, we're going to keep that one because if we buy the airplane, that wing goes with it. So, All right. but, but those are the kinds of things that if you're in the market for an airplane, you got to do a deep dive yourself. <laughs> do not assume someone else is going to do it for you. John, I know that uh, we have to, uh, to give uh, credits to our sponsors and I will let you do that, but I want to hear your last words, not only on this subject, but of course, to close our show. 
Well, on this subject, I would tell anybody that's going to buy an airplane or going to bring his airplane in to a, a repair station or an A&P IA to do an inspection, ask them what service they use to get their information. Maybe ask them to print off a list of the ADs and the service bulletins and service letters for your airplane so you can look at them yourself. If they have the service, it's one button to print and they can print it all off for you. And that's a good way for you to know that the person you're asking to do the work on your airplane has the service and has that, the knowledge to give you a good product. Remember this product's gonna last for an entire year. And with that, I just remind everybody that if you have an airplane and you need new, to renew your health insurance, or if you're one of these many people that are out there today looking to buy an airplane, contact Avemco for your insurance. If you're a flight instructor, uh, contact Avemco for insurance to cover you there. If you're a renter of an airplane, contact Avemco for renter's insurance to cover you in the event something happens. You know, it doesn't take much of an accident or an incident to, to rack up thousands and thousands of dollars I, I just, uh, I, I was just talking to, uh, earlier today about a fuel cap on an airplane uh, that was uh, left loose, but it was tethered to the airplane. It was a business uh, jet and it was a 20 minute flight. I had thousands of dollars of damage mm -hmm. as this yeah. fuel cap just beat the hell out of the airplane. Yeah. So, you know, you got to pay attention and you got to protect yourself. So if you need insurance, call Avemco, uh, 879, uh, excuse me, 888-879-0389. Again, 888-879-0389. And tell them you listen to the flight safety detectives and you'll get a 5% discount on top of any other discounts that you might be eligible for. Great. And I'll leave you the shot, Greg, that you, uh, you, you've been waiting to take. So bring it on. Now, John, I'm, this is the kinder, gentler me today. So, I mean, Are you I, sick? I, I, <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I have not had my cocktails yet. Anyway, um, I like the background. <laughs> I, I think you need to use more of those, uh, those backgrounds because it uh. makes you stand out. And, um, and, you know, you're no longer a floating head that's just talking. So uh, keep up that good work. And of course, Jason, I always appreciate uh, your expertise. Somebody's got to keep John in line besides me. So always appreciate you being on the show. No we, uh, I, thought, I thought about doing this podcast from the pool. I could have been laying in the pool. Um, that is, John, that is, that is not a mental picture I really wanted at this point. Uh, all I can say is I hope you're wearing a bathrobe, you know, so <laughs> just, that is just not a good picture. I mean, you are svelte for your age, but uh, no, it's not happening, but uh, it's, it's good to be with both of you guys. And, uh, and I do have some uh, travel coming up, but I plan on uh, not letting you go solo anymore, John. Um, and running rampant with just a flight safety detective. This is uh, a multi-detective show, and we're going to keep it that way. So uh, 
we will uh, we will be on the road, but we will do the show from wherever it is any of us are. So uh, it's always good to see you guys, and um, I hope you uh, you fly safe and and stay safe. And I know John, that is your mantra. Yes, if you in this environment with the Delta variant kicking its ugly head up, please, if you haven't been vaccinated, please get vaccinated. There's no reason why. I just this. A week ago, I got my third shot, my booster shot. I'm not taking any chances with this virus. Uh, it's clear that it's back with a vengeance. Uh, so please, if you stay safe in your personal environment. If you're going flying, please do a very thorough pre-planning, do a thorough pre-flight. And also one of the things that I, I just, I, I've known about this for a while and I just started picking it up about how many pilots will go out to the airplane and pre-flight it, get it all ready to go, and then they're waiting for a friend to show up or, or if it's a business jet waiting for the passengers to show up. And then when they do, it's uh, like a race, everybody in the airplane, get up inside, pilots go in, pull the door closed, the ramp guys from the FBO threw the last minute bags on, they closed the door, and the pilots just light the fire and move. Nobody did a final walk around. Nobody, yeah. you know, the crew never looked to see if there any panels were opened up. And that's that's the, the fuel cap that I just mentioned. That was the exact scenario in that one. Mm. Pilot got diverted. His attention got diverted on the way out to the airplane. He went and did something else. Came back, the passengers were, were just finishing boarding the airplane, and he just ran up, closed the door, and went in the cockpit. The cap was, was uh, left off, tethered to the airplane, and there we go. You know, a whole bunch of damage, money, and I, I don't know what happened to him, but I wouldn't be surprised if they took discipline action against him. But in any event, please fly safely. All of these procedures have been around for 100 years. No, not that long, really, but 20 years. But <laughs> See, you're giving your age away, and I don't even have to bust you about it. <laughs> yeah, Orville and Luba had problems with things that, that came out from the airplane, too. Yep. All right, enough for me. Well, and good to be with you guys. Week. Yep, till next week. This is the Flight Safety Detectives. <laughs>